D-S-N-Y. football this year i am not uh you know I'm, I'm just i'm not into football enough to do a fantasy team my girlfriend actually just had her draft oh nice so she would like ask me a few things they got to the point where i was like i don't know how many times i have to tell you this <laughs> i don't know shit man I, she, me. she's like she was like oh so should my last pick be a kicker i was like i honestly have no idea <laughs> and she was like well, you know, I just, I just want to ask to see if you can like validate anything that I'm saying. I'm like, no, I like, I, I legitimately like, could not tell you what. That's, now, if she were to ask you about House of the Dragon, that'd be a different story. Oh yeah, absolutely. We could have a completely yeah. depth conversation going into. Still every haven't, other. I still haven't watched the, the the new one, but the oh man, this I kind of was caught off guard. How okay, episode two, great. Okay, six months later. Yeah, um, well, just for a warning, there's going to be an even bigger time jump between episode two and episode three. Well, yeah, because like the whole Dance of the Dragons uh, um, melodrama, we'll say, that that's about a two-year affair, from what I recall. So, uh, Yeah, I, I, I don't remember how long it was, but it's definitely where when some of the characters that we're seeing in the first couple episodes are going to be even older. Yeah. Now, so, now some of them, Viserys totally has grayscale, right? I don't think so. I think I think he's just. I think it's w- wounds from the throne that are just getting infected. Maybe. Yeah, that could be it too. Because apparently the the crab feeder has gray grayscale. That's not like revealed in the in any episodes. I think. No, nah, but just just based on like the the kind of little flashes we got we got of his face. Uh, yeah. At the end of the episode, it's like, yeah, that there's something going on there. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, what's going on, folks? This is uh, Bleacher Creatures. What episode are we at? I actually have to click on the Spotify right now and see what episode number we're at. This is pathetic. Uh, all right, not- yeah. yeah. Episode number 142, brought to you as always by XL Media, Elite Sports NY, Crossing Broad, Warwick Gaming, and as always, Rivercrest NYC. Uh, so Alec, um, we'll get back to House of the Dragon Game of Thrones talk later, I guess, but we have to talk about how bad the Yankees have been since that road trip. Last time we spoke, it was a couple hours before the start of the Oakland series. Talk mm-hmm. about false hope, man. Yeah. False hope. That, oh, I hated that so much. It, I, I have not, I'm, I don't think I've ever seen this team do a complete 180 over like like that i mean that's the same shit i mean we've kind of regurgitated a lot of points um about their previous really long dry spell and yeah we thought that the whole oakland series was the beginning of them climbing out of it and sure enough you know they almost you know actually you could argue they dig themselves a little bit deeper just because you know they narrowly avoided a sweep against tampa that Saturday game in Oakland where Adam Aller kind of went crazy had like, we, we've talked about the Mucine analogy, 10 starts where you have everything. And he did have everything working then. I wonder if that kind of psyched out the lineup into some sort of weird headspace. 
It's like, oh man, like these pitchers we were supposed to own and they owned us. What do we do? Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I feel like that's very concerning if a start like that can psych out the majority of hitters in that lineup. And like to be completely honest, I don't even think I was all that upset about that loss. It just yeah, you kind of tip your cap. The pitcher had everything working. Yeah. Was a really well pitched game because I think that was the Herman no hitter into the seventh, right? Uh the sixth or the seventh, yeah. So you kind of like tip your cap. So yeah, you're gonna get days where it's just a pitcher's duel and you know the team that can scrap out that one extra hit or that one extra, you know, batter doing his job correctly. That's the difference. Um the game was almost one too, just like Steven Vogt hits that one changeup off Aron Marinaccio, who just had nothing working for him that night. Yeah. So I mean, again, I'm like I'm not I wasn't too upset about that loss. It was kind of just like, hey, you know, you played a bunch of pretty good games and can't even argue that they played poorly other than like, you know, just hitting, not being there. Um, but if it was the case of like that messes with the hitters heads and all of a sudden like shakes their confidence. I mean, like, I think that's a much bigger issue that guys like postseasons around the corner. Yeah. It, 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 it I mean, come easy. You talked about big issues and I hate to regurgitate another talking point, but this is how bad Gleyber Torres has been. We talked about this before we hit record. Uh, Brendan Cuddy from NJ.com tweeted this out. Glaber Torres believes he hasn't been able to adjust to breaking slash off-speed pitches in the second half. The numbers bear that out. He's hit 105 versus them in the second half, 282 in the first half. Alec, you know hitting very well. Glaber Torres, we have spent, we've had countless conversations about how he is at his best when he is trying to be that contact hitter, not worrying about pulling the ball. I look at those numbers and think, okay, second half, he's reverted to old habits again. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, I think one of the big things for him is when that front side flies open and he tries to jump on the fastball a little bit too much and all of a sudden he's pulling off on the low off-speed breaking pitches. Um, We've seen it time and time again, the negatives of his hitting approach, uh, but then we've also seen the positives where if he does sit back a little bit longer and – and even then, like I hate, I hate saying that because I feel like that's just kind of like a, uh, a cheat, you know, phrase or it's just like, oh, just stay back and hit the ball because, like, you know, what the hell does that mean? But it's like he, his issue just seems like when he tries to get pole happy, it's not that he's trying to drive the ball to left center. It's it looks like anytime he tries to pull the ball, he's trying to hook it down the line, which is gonna, which is just approach wise not what you want to do like especially for a hitter like him you know he doesn't necessarily hit the ball hard like other hitters around the league or as hard as some other hitters around the league but he hits the ball plenty hard enough when he's focusing on up the middle and to right center and then I think we've heard like Paul O'Neill say it on the broadcast a couple times it's like if you sit right center on the fastball you'll be able to pull the off-speed pitch and you'll be able to adjust on like onto the off-speed pitch. So I'm looking at like his numbers on MLB's website right now. I'm like in his last 121 at bats, he's hitting 174. Like and and, and he's, he's just not doing anything well. He's hitting 174 and his on-base percentage is 194. 
it's like okay look yes when you're in a slump you need to make sure that you keep swinging the bat because that's the only way you're going to get hits but that doesn't mean go up there and just fucking swing with no game plan whatsoever he has three walks in 121 at bats like he has no idea what's coming at him it sounds like he's not even trying to recognize pitches i mean o'neill said on a similar on also on a yes broadcast how the yankees they're going up trying to guess what pitch is coming instead of just reacting to stuff now you want to try and like anticipate what pitch is coming because you you have you get the scouting reports on the pitchers. You know, okay, this guy's gonna throw me a lot of changeups. This guy's big fastball slider. This guy has a really slow dipping curve, and so you go up anticipating what kind of swings you're going to have to take and how you're going to have to read the zone. You'd think that, like, right, the Glaber Torres is still very young. I, like, I don't think he's even 26 years old. But at the same time, he's been in the league long enough that he knows how to read the ball coming out of a guy's hand. He he knows what his strengths are. He knows how to play to those strengths. And instead, like maybe it's pressure from Giancarlo Stanton being out of the lineup for so long. He's just sitting fastball. And like you said, is he trying to pull it or just kind of hook it down the line? You know, I think the biggest thing that kind of annoys me with Glaber is for the longest time when he was coming up through the system, when we traded for him, Yep. All you heard was about his bat-to-ball skill, his ability to make adjustments mid-at-bat. Yeah. And, I, like, I'm sorry. I, I I have not seen that in his entire duration in the major leagues. Like, we know we – I think it's safe to say we now know that 40 home run season or whatever it was was a flash in the pan of juice, juice balls. Yep. Yeah. So, expecting that to come back is is just, you know – completely illogical so it but i you just don't see competitive at bats out of him i mean and i i I think you know the the three walks and 121 at bats he he has two walks in his last 60 he's got none in his last 28 like that's telling he at at a certain point it's like this self-fulfilling prophecy where when you struggle you want to put the ball in play. Like, yeah. like, like you, you don't want to swing and miss. You don't want to strike out. You become so desperate to put the ball in play because then you kind of feel like, oh, you, you've given yourself a chance for maybe something good to happen. I know. I've been there, right? Not at the level yeah. that Glaber has, not even close to the level level that Glaber has been at. But, you know, in a way, all hitting is the same like that. We're all human who don't like failure, but when things start getting tough – we start to grip the bat a little bit tighter. We start to, you know, n- no hitter is going to admit it, but you start to panic a little bit. You start getting desperate to just say, hey, like, just make contact, right? And I think Labor is in that situation where he's just trying to make contact and he's not sticking to the strengths that made him a successful hitter up to this point in, at any level. And, you know, it's going to take yeah. – Maybe it'll take a few more like strikeouts for him to start feeling comfortable. But like, you know, it's you can sit there and say, hey, the dude. Okay, so like a, a great example, great fucking example. The major leaguer who I was connected with, yeah, had a terrible start to his season. And not because of like, you know, you're talking you're talking this season. Yes. Okay. So, you know. He his batting average was low. He's going into his contract year. 
where you know you know he's actually really into arbitration is I think his second arc um and he's got to prove himself that he is going to be worth the money he's he's like at 30 or 31 years old and his season starts off terribly but the thing is and really the first half of the season starts off terribly but the thing is the stats weren't indicative of how well he was swinging the bat he had some of the worst Babbitt luck in the entire league. Right. He consistently hit the ball hard, just happened to be right at people. And I mean, to the point where he was still getting his home runs. I think like by the all-star break, he was around like 25 home runs. And so, sorry, games. sorry to interrupt you. I also remember like following his stats casually over the course of the year, like his, his expecting batting average and slugging. It's not like at the top tier, but it's, it's been respectable most of the way. Yeah. Yeah. And so he keeps swinging, keeps making solid contact, quality contact, and all of a sudden the balls start to fall. So as of today, he's got 30-plus home runs, which is pretty much going to buy him a few more years in the league. You hit yeah. 30 home runs once in the major league season, you're going to have a job for at least the next two to three years, right? Agreed, yeah. So – He's gotten his bat, and, you know, and this is how bad of a start he had. He's gotten his batting average up to 235. Yeah. He's got 31 home runs, and his last 109 at-bats, he's hitting 350. That's, that's phenomenal. With six home runs. And so it's, since the All-Star break, everything has started to fall for him. Continues to yes. hit the ball hard, continues driving it. He, he was getting frustrated but from all from everything that I was hearing on like kind of a little bit more on the outside, he wasn't necessarily panicking, even though he was getting frustrated. And now the perseverance and the hey, just keep working good at bats. Because like I I, I used to follow his at bats much more closely than I do now. Like he would have good takes, good at bats, put on good swings on the ball, and either just right. miss them or hit him right at something. So you could look like from the eye test. He's doing something that should theoretically work. It's only going to be a matter of time. The law of averages says it's going to come back and help him, right? He's going to regress to the mean, which for him means going up. Yeah, because like in his case, I mean, you were just saying in a nutshell, it was frustrating, but he always stuck to the mechanics. He stuck to like what he, what he knew he had to do. Because, like you said, the greater number showed, you're not doing anything wrong. This is just bad luck. Glaber mm -hmm. Torres is doing something not just wrong, but horribly wrong. See, that low of a drop in not, – not, here's the thing. The batting average didn't just drop that far in terms of breaking in off-speed pitches, Alec. He's actually seeing slightly less breaking in off-speed pitches in the second half. It's by like 2% less. It's still – now, granted, when, when push comes to shove, it's still very much almost like a 50-50 breakdown, I'm sure. But that being said, he's not going up with a plan. He's going up there with the bat in his hands, swinging away, hoping for the best. It's that Marcus Tim's three true outcomes garbage that drives me absolutely batshit insane right now because it's obvious how much that – I mean, I don't want to say it ruined the guys, but it kind of did. Yeah. Absolutely. Like Gary Sanchez in Minnesota, they like, oh, he needs to get out of New York. Okay, great. I was at the game yesterday, 471-foot bomb. Hats off to him. He got a pitch he could hit, did what he could with it. But other than his numbers, okay, he's Gary Sanchez. Low batting average, a handful of home runs, 
questionable defense. Gio Rochella, he's he's a non-factor. Yeah, I mean, what uh, another juice buddy ball of the show, good buddy of the show. Uh, Cam posed the question, like, would you undo the trade? And no, I would not undo that. Absolutely trade. not. Um, but yeah, I mean, okay, so like, so Gary Sanchez's home run yesterday was his second in twenty-one at bats, his third in thirty-eight at bats, and his fourth in eighty-four at bats. Christ Almighty. Yeah, like like no. the dude the dude is hitting 214. His OPS is 682. That's lower than Glaber's. I mean, look, granted, Josh Donaldson, he's putting up somewhat similar numbers, I'm sure, and he certainly hasn't been as advertised, but he's at least A got he's got some off-field stuff happening. His wife his wife's about to give birth. He's probably got his mind on that. He's been dealing with a shoulder that it sounds like it's going to need surgery in the offseason based on what little information they've given about it. But despite all that. He's having a gold glove year at third base. Do you know how hard it is to find a third baseman? Not just a third baseman who can have a gold glove year. A third baseman who can have a gold glove season in his mid-30s. Yeah. No, for sure. Josh Donaldson, okay, he's been kind of a bust at the plate. He's overpaid. But, oh, my God, Gio Urshela is not making half of the plays that he's making in the field. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. It's, you know – we we got rid of Gary because it was his offense doesn't mask enough of the defense. But Donaldson is a like everything else aside, the on-field antics, the off-field antics, like the whole fucking posturing with Tampa, that just annoyed the shit out of me because it's like you guys are on the verge of getting swept. Like you're we're stop acting tough. Just win the fucking ball game. Um but with Donaldson, yeah, the you can slightly overlook his offensive production because he provides so much with the defense. Now, that being said, there is an issue where his offensive production combined with the lack of offensive production from guys like IKF, from Hicks, like from Higgy. All of a sudden, when you got four of those kinds of hitters in your lineup, that's a big issue. Yes. Yes, it very much is. If it was just him, or maybe if it was just him and IKF, and we had an outfielder who could produce at a league average rate and a catcher who could produce at a league average rate, you kind of be like, hey, I'm going to take that hit in the lineup because I know what he does on the other side of the ball is going to be valuable. But now all of a sudden, I mean, Rizzo's hurt and now on the IL. DJ's playing through something. Stan just does not look right since he's come back, and he's yeah. now like day to day again. Five years, one hundred eighteen million left, man. Yeah. So, I knew this was going to happen. That just leaves us with Judge. Yeah, and he's probably going to the Giants in the off season. Yeah, I will say he will look good in San Francisco colors. Yes, he will. But I've said it on I've said it on the in the group chat. If Cashman lets him walk. And doesn't have a backup plan to to maintain that kind of star power and production. I am done with this team. I'm holding you to that, by the way. Oh, I know. You're, you're, I'm gonna have to do the pod every week. Uh, oh yeah, I know. Uh, do I do I get the shit on them every week? You're shitting on them now. Fair. Fair. <laughs> um, Let, let's talk about DJ though. It's like it's clear that. What kind of big toe thing is going on that it affects his swing this much? Because he was he hit over three forty in July, and in yeah, August, just fell on. Say what? 
Do we know what foot it's on? Back foot. Okay, so I can I can understand if it's the back foot. Maybe he can't like get his he like. Long story short, he might be trying to like hit off of one foot. Yeah, he's absolutely hard. trying to do that. Um, yeah. Funny enough, I've had like big toe issues, but mainly from like throwing. Where if I tried to push off, I could really feel it. Like if I wasn't wearing the right like supportive cleat yeah um and so just knowing how painful that is and how that kind of lingers in the back of your head if it's his back foot then i yeah i mean his his fall off was so sudden because i think we were sitting there you know 70 percent through the season just being like hey we had we had a good year of production out of dj yeah like it's like, like not batting title production but like he's he's, no, getting, but, he's looking like himself again yeah, yeah. The guy who's just gonna, you know, put together good at bats. You said he was sitting three forty or whatever. Yeah, like, three forty four in July. Yeah, like, and all of a sudden he's not doing anything. So I, yeah, I can see that affecting him mechanically. And um, yeah, it's very tempting to just see how DJ has performed over the last couple of years. And immediately look at his contract and kind of like, oh, like contact Mark Teixeira or whatever. <laughs> but like, clearly, okay, year one, he had the hernia and the dead and balls. Year two, he adjusted to the dead and balls. Now this goddamn toe thing's going on. He's the kind of hitter where, in the long run, the deal's not going to look like a bad contract, especially compared to the Shara. Yeah, but but like at the same time, you got to wonder like, this is a guy who hit over three hundred for us twice. Okay, fine with juice balls, and in the meantime, you've got all this money committed to him. Yet here's Anthony Volpe. Here's Oswald Peraza. Here's some other guy we probably haven't even heard of yet. <laughs> yeah. Um, Eduardo Cabrera. You know, I think it's been said a lot, but ideally, one of those guys are going to fade him out or phase him out, not fade him out. <laughs> yeah. They're going to phase him out into that more Ben Zobris utility reliable player off the bench and that's a kind of player championship teams should have and zobris was a world series mvp yeah exactly like 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 it's just a consummate professional who knows what it's going to take to get the job done um but yeah i mean it's just we're kind of stuck in a weird in between i honestly have no idea where this team stands like in well, the present and in the future. Because okay. So I actually, I'm actually glad you brought that up. So looking at the schedule now, we're tape, we're recording this Tuesday night where it's pouring rain. Game got rained out. I'm just going to say this was the best, the best time to rain that rain out we could possibly have. Like, like a hard gritty win against the Rays, looking more like ourselves against the Twins. Uh, a little too homer happy, but two wins in a row. Take a break. You got the doubleheader tomorrow. Let, and tonight, just kind of let the disappointment of Rizzo hitting the aisle sink in. And then you got the Twins. Then you got the Rays for the weekend. Next week, I think this is only going to benefit the Yankees. They've got two days off. They got Monday and Thursday off, two at Fenway in between. Then they go to Milwaukee, and Milwaukee's kind of having their own struggles right now. Right. And then, and then uh, the Pirates come to town, and the Red Sox again. And it's a, it's a fairly soft close to the season. Mm -hmm. So everything is set up for the Yankees to do well. I think that facing the Twins, it's, yesterday it was clear that everybody kind of had their confidence back a little bit. Yeah. 
and like being back at home certainly helps. Um, the only real drawback I saw was was Tyone. I didn't. I didn't watch most of the game yesterday. Um, so, I, I knew he gave up. He gave up the home run to Gary. Yeah, he just kind of in the in the fourth fifth inning. He just kind of lost his command a bit. He he first three innings. Yeah, gave up a couple hits here and there, but for the most part, looked very very good. Uh, mm-hmm. Gave up four hits in an inning, and it looked very much okay. So you know how we say we've talked about how with Garrett Cole, when he's not at his best, it's because he's rushing his motion. Yeah. Cole rushes the entire motion. Um, Tyone takes his time. He very much takes his time getting into the stretch, rushes the release on his pitch. Hmm. So it's like he's kind of letting – it looked to me, based on the tape, he was letting go of the ball a little too early almost, and it was just kind of hanging up there in the zone. Okay. Uh, I wonder if, you know, his comeback from multiple Tommy Johns and cancer – is well documented and we know that he retooled his arm motion to try to be try to make it shorter i wonder if that's just a product of that where when he loses that command or that feel it's more of a losing the tempo of the arm because it's still relatively new to him i would say like two years like he, you know, he's a professional. He's done a fantastic job up to this point, but two years is still like a small amount of time, you know, against however many years he threw the way he threw. So yeah. I wonder if those, those struggles are a result of that. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I make no bones about the fact that Jamison Tyone's probably not going to be on the Yankees next year. Yeah. It, he's one of Garrett Cole's guys. I'm sure he's a great teammate, but there's, it's Clark Schmidt's time. Oakland, he didn't look that great. I think maybe just because he kind of had some nerves. In Tampa, I think he also had some nerves just because, A, the Tropicana field is god-awful. <laughs> and, B, like, for a young pitcher, I mean, you're probably clo- a little closer to this than I am. As a young pitcher on, on any level, if you're asking to assen- being asked to essentially make a spot start, in the midst of when your team hasn't been scoring runs, that's gotta, there's gotta be some sort of pressure factor, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You want to, you want to be the guy who's going to take some pressure off the team with a good quality start. You, especially when it's a division rival, who's kind of hot on your heels. Um, Yeah. I mean, we, neither of us can say what Clark does to get into a, game time mindset like what his pregame ritual is and you know yeah sometimes you know I, I I was willing to you know write off the Oakland start it's just like those starts happen you know um they were being the, aggressive against them too yeah yeah and you know we've seen the Yankees do that against like Max Scherzer where yeah. they make they make aces look pedestrian um but yeah I wonder if Kind of like if if Clark is struggling with just what his tempo is, not necessarily pitching physically on the mound, but how to navigate the lifestyle of a professional major league pitcher, you know? Yeah, there's definitely a maturity factor to it because as, as you get a little older and wiser, I'd imagine that your approach to, to a start is going to vary, especially against every team. The good news with Schmidt is that the stuff plays. 
Yeah. Like, be it as a starter, reliever, like the, the kid has a future in baseball. Oh yeah. I I don't know. I don't know if he's going to be a long-term starter, but I can see him serving some sort of role. Um, so well, know, one, one guy you need to just look at is Michael King. Yeah. I mean, M- Michael King, um, it seems that was just a confidence issue because he talks on and on about how much we, and we've had Max Goodman on the show talk about how much of a good relationship King developed with Corey Kluber. Mm-hmm. And we're told, Hey, like, don't worry about the result. Just go out there and pitch. Yeah. And Schmidt, I think, I mean, he and King have to be boys just because they came up together, or at least they at least have to be somewhat close. So that that's someone to talk to over the, the offseason. And then you, he's going to adjust his routine during the um, during the uh, the offseason, I'm sure. I, I'm I'm not worried about Clark Schmidt's development at the same time. I would not at all be shocked if uh, Cashman traded him in the offseason just to just uh like maybe upgrade the back end this much maybe i mean i think we had that conversation around the deadline where i personally am of the opinion is you have to give him an extended shot unless you know for certain you can trade him for what will be an upgrade yeah so yeah like how how are you going to know that you know, it, it, it's it's a delicate situation for Cashman to work because how are you going to figure out what level Clark can play at without playing him for well, a duration of time? But well, then, not, not only that, like we don't even – I mean, the Yankees are still in first place. Sure, they're probably going to make the playoffs. But at the same time, we don't know if Brian Cashman is going to be the Yankees general manager next year. I thought I heard something that he was pretty much all but in for next year. I thought the the post reported something. I don't know. Maybe so. I mean, how Steinbrenner really trusts him. And, well, let's be honest. Like, the moves that Cashman has made on paper ever since last offseason, they've made sense. Like, like the the Jordan Montgomery trade, by the numbers, that looks really bad. But, like, I don't mean to beat the dead horse. Jordan Montgomery was never going to put up those numbers in the American League in any of the divisions. Never. Those are National League numbers. That is where he belongs. End of yeah. discussion. We're never talking about this again. So, <laughs> so uh, but yeah, like, okay, so that move, like, okay, it doesn't look great now, but Harrison Bader, we all know what he can do. And Yankee Stadium, if he can figure shit out with the bat, all the better. Mm-hmm. Um, he hasn't made any truly bad, bad moves. Like, we even saw Frankie Montas looked really good in his last start. His last couple starts, I feel like, right? Yeah, like, like against the Mets, especially. Like, for Frankie Montas, to enter the belly of the beast and have a pretty good game against the Mets. And let's be honest, I was at that game. He got squeezed on more than a few calls. Yeah. Like he kept his overall mistakes to a minimum and okay. His pitch count got him in trouble, but he still looked really good. And that was a packed house. I was stressed out at how packed it was. It was Mm -hmm. like, he nailed it. Yeah. I mean, that's stuff that, he kind of always knew that his stuff, he was going to figure his stuff out. He was going to. What, what's on your hat? Oh, this is the uh, this is the minor league team uh, out in Wilmington, Delaware. It's Celery Man. Celery Man. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that was a Charizard for a second. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, uh, brief minor league baseball interlude. Uh, okay, but Montaz, you were saying, he, yeah, he looked good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, this stuff is going to be there. He, I, I, he's going to figure it out. They're, 
I, I hope it's not going to be a sunny gray situation. Um, I don't think it's going to be a sunny gray situation. I, I don't think so either. I think after a full off season too, as a Yankee and then having like a game plan in the off season tailor made by, you know, Matt Blake and company, you know, yeah. he's going to be a valuable arm for that rotation going into next year for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like he's probably the number two right behind, uh, right behind Cole. Uh, I mean, yeah, you don't know how Severino is going to come back, but I would still probably put Severino ahead of yeah. Montas. But like, hey, if you get a fully healthy Severino, uh, again, that's a big if. But you know, your top three of Cole, Severino, and Montas—that's one of the top top three in the league. Um, I think Severino is going to have a much better uh, year next year because he he's looked good this year up until when he got tired and his shoulder started barking. Oh yeah, no, so he, he looked fantastic. Yeah, like his his rehab has apparently gone swimmingly, and now he'll have a full off season where he can stretch himself out. He doesn't have to worry about getting about an injury to recover from. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean he's going to overextend himself, but I think next year we're going to see a Luis Severino who's in a better position to throw at or about two hundred innings, who can give you more consistent quality starts, who even on his worst days isn't necessarily going to be god awful because now he knows how not to tip pitches. Yeah. So. I think kind of backtracking to, you know, the moves that Cashman has made on paper can't really be criticized. I think the biggest criticism is how he handles prospects and how, and I think the biggest criticism with the entire organization is just how they handle prospects and how they give certain guys these longer leashes that are probably not deserving. Like at a certain point, you know, I mean, like, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I think a lot of that is just because, like, I can't remember. Have you read Inside the Empire? I have not. There, there's a whole chapter about Hal and Inside the Empire. And the whole reason, the reason that Hal Steinbrenner, I think, on the whole, is a generally good owner is because he tries so hard not to be his father, which hindsight 2020, that's a good thing. George Steinbrenner. Big personality, probably one of the best showman baseball has ever had. Terrible owner. Just look right. at his transaction history. And how he's like saying, no, you don't need to spend like so much money like on everybody to, to win a championship. But at the same time, you got to wonder, even with the high payroll, at what point is he overcompensating? Yeah. It's that fine balance. Like now with Peraza, it's again, small sample size. They were saying he's gotten off the slow start everywhere. But then you look at Anthony Volpe, who's been at AAA for two minutes. He's batting 500 there. Yeah. Yeah. He's, I think he's had already two, three hit games. He has not he, missed. He had one yesterday. You know, and it's, I just don't understand how you can look at a lineup and just be like, okay, IKF, Hicks. Actually, I'll just leave it at those two because there's not really a catcher who's going to take over from Higgy. But I don't know how you can look. Uh, well, I mean, next year you could probably foresee you're going to have Trevino and Rortvet. Yeah, yeah. But, again, like, you know, Rortvet is 20 – this season has been a lost cause for him. Well, yeah, he's been hurt. Just, so. Yeah. Um, but I just don't know how you look – you pencil in a lineup. If you're Boone or whoever it is that's making the lineup decision, how IKF – and and Hicks are give you a better chance to win than 
any combination of of Cabrera, Peraza, Volpe, L'Oreal. I mean, I like I, like it blows my. You know what? It's mind blowing how much of a noodle bat Isaiah Kiner Falefa has, and yet with runners with runners in scoring position, he's batting like three sixty. Well, again, like you know, it's it's the benefit of like where you you do make contact. Like again, like if, if we want to parse down the acquisition of IKF on paper, it made sense. The dude hit two seventy last year, had hundred and seventy odd hits. I was a big fan of it. I was absolutely a big fan of it. Um, but like again, he I've seen at bats where I really question his approach. Um, He's a little aggressive. Yeah, I've um for, for someone who doesn't strike out a bunch, he's very aggressive. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I have a buddy who writes for Pinstripe Alley who has detailed some mechanical things like with IKF with his hitting. So I don't quite know where exactly the problem lies. I think it's probably a little bit of both. Um but when you get a guy who should theoretically be spraying line drives all over the infield and into the outfield. Yeah. It doesn't surprise me that he's, he's got a high runners in scoring position, you know, batting average. There was the incident. Yes. Was he? No, I think it was against the Rays. I think judge started off with the leadoff double got to third. And so it's first and third and nobody out. And then they don't score him. And it, I think there was a, I think one of the kids struck out, I think someone popped out and then like, you know, out number three happened. And it's just like in those situations, you know, at the risk of sounding ignorant, but it should not be that hard to drive in a run when a guy's on third base with less than two outs, especially, especially like if the infield's in, yes, it gets a little bit harder because you can't necessarily be swinging at every pitch. You want to make sure you avoid the drawn-in infield. Mm. But when the infield is back, I mean, I don't know. Like, again, at the risk of sounding ignorant, but in when I played in college, those were my favorite moments because I felt like I kept my approach so incredibly simple of if I get a pitch I can just handle. Like I'm not looking for a specific spot. I'm not looking for a pitch. I'm going to drive, you know, into the outfield to, you know, the fence. It's put a ball in the strike zone. I I trust my own bat to ball skills and I'm going to trust my mechanics to where I can put a good swing on it, hit it hard. And even if I get out, if that run scores, I did my job successfully. Yeah. So I, 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 that seems lost nowadays and, and I'm, I'm going to sound like a, a old, you know, an old head here, but you know, like those situations, I know I'm kind of going off on a tangent, but like I've seen, I've seen IKF make these weird decisions where he swings at a not good pitch and all of a sudden he hits into a double play and then that's the end of the inning. Yeah. Um, and then I've seen him where it works, where he gets that first pitch fastball and he lines a single into right center and the run scores. So it's wild because at the start of the season, like I remember I actually wrote an article saying, hey, like this guy could be like a new Didi Gregorius, just sort of like a good, smooth transitional guy who like because he was actually outpacing Didi over his first handful of games as a Yankee and like was hitting quite well. And then 
it was either regression to the mean or just something caught up with them because now it's like okay isaiah counterflop is coming up it's either hot or cold it's it's like joey gallo with slightly better results yeah yeah i mean it's i i i just don't understand why or someone brought up a good point like you we've talked about the defense that uh, Josh Donaldson brings a third base, but Isaiah kind of won a gold glove at third base. Why do we keep yeah. running him out to shortstop and then have two holes in the lineup offensively? And why don't we just slide IKF to third, put one of the kids at short, and just run with that for the rest of the season? You honestly think that decision is going to cost the team the division? I mean, I don't want to take Donaldson out of the lineup that badly. Well, no, it's it's not necessarily so much of taking Donaldson out of the lineup. It's just you can't be you just can't be running out a lineup where a third of it is going to be Donaldson, IKF, and Hicks. Individually, having one of those guys in the lineup is not an issue. But having all three of them, and then on top of that, having yeah. a guy like Higgy in the lineup who is just nothing. Yeah. That's the issue. Because you have a struggling stand. I've, I said it earlier. You have a struggling stand. You have a non-existent Glaber. You have a hurt Rizzo, a hurt DJ. All you have is Aaron Judge. Yeah. And, and somehow that motherfucker continues to produce as the only guy in the lineup. Like, that's insane. And then now it makes more sense why the Yankees are struggling. And now I'm very sad. <laughs> Thanks, man. You suck. I don't see an easy fix. I'm sorry. I mean, no. just get, get fucking radical with it. I'm like, you're the the yeah. The division like, is slipping through your fingers. Like, obviously, the product that you're putting out there right now in its current form does not work. And what is the definition of insanity? Trying to do the same thing over and over again, getting a different result. Exactly. So why not just try to do something different? I'm not saying call up Peraza, but who knows? Yeah. Maybe another week of him hitting like this, they might want to try him in the majors and just see how he does. You mean you know? Volpe? Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Volpe, yeah. Yeah. Um, but that, that's not going to happen. <laughs> I know. I know. But hey, yeah. like, fucking why not? What do you have to lose? Seriously, what do you have to lose? I don't think you're going to ruin his development if, if you bring him up, if he continues to hit well. I don't know how you're going to ruin. Peraza's development if you just give him the starting role for the rest of the season I mean, we, I, we've I, already seen what Cabrera yeah, does I, we, I will I will grant you that the key to unlocking the overall potential of uh, of Peraza of Cabrera and Volpe maybe next year these guys are going to need reps like I'll say right now Oswaldo Cabrera yeah the numbers aren't there but just looking at his swing and how close he came so many times in Oakland Alec Oswaldo Cabrera is going to have an epic home run in Yankee Stadium before the season is over, and it is going to blow the roof off of the place. I, I, I hope to God that happens. But even yeah. then, even then, if he does not become, you know, this everyday player, look what he does defensively. Like, yeah, again, so kind of like in that Josh Donaldson argument, he provides so much value defensively you can overlook that offensive hole yeah. and i just i mean 
But the Yankees are like, so here's the crazy thing. Like the Yankees have a history of having these guys who might be in-betweeners, not quite everyday starters, but really good, like, you know, really good just kind of platoon role players. I mean, remember Tyro Estrada? Yeah. He's hitting yep. 264 in the season with 12 home runs. So if you looked at if Damn. you looked at, a, at an Oswaldo Cabrera, if you look at a Cabrera, tell me you wouldn't take that from him any day of the week. I he doesn't love that from him. We don't we don't need a guy like him to be the guy, the go-to guy. You know, that can be saved for a Peraza or a Volpe or whoever. But how many guys are out there in the league right now, like a Tyro Estrada or like a Nick Solak? or any of these guys that have been in the Yankee system with decent hit tools and the ability to where they can be serviceable MOV players on an almost everyday basis. And the Yankees don't give them chances because they'd rather see the struggling, whoever it is, get more and more reps, right? It doesn't make any sense to me. And so like, again, going way back to what I said earlier about that, the criticism of the organization is how they handle their prospects I mean, yeah. I do not want to see a guy like a Cabrera turn into Estrada or Solak or whoever. These guys were just like, you know, fuck. It would have been nice to keep a guy like that. Like, didn't let me pull up Nick Solak's numbers from the last couple of years. While you're pulling those up, I'll say I'll say this about Oswaldo Cabrera. The fact that he's performing so well in the outfield, I mean, like, it kind of makes you wonder if the overall metrics in the infield are pretty rough. That's why they move him out there. But at mm-hmm. the same time, like, I'm tempted to trade Peraza along with Glaber and then maybe stick Cabrera over at second base. And then you use DJ like a, he plays second this day, then third the next day, then first the next day. He, he's that sort of everyday super utility player. And Oswaldo Cabrera can be exactly that too with how many positions he can play. And, mm-hmm. and so I feel like just stick him at second base because, okay, even if the – I'll say this. The results aren't there. Okay, but automatically – he takes cleaner swings than Aaron Hicks. He is a switch hitter like Aaron Hicks. I say put Oswaldo over Hicks, like in any circumstance. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I just don't understand. Yeah, just do it. Just fucking do it. There's nothing to lose. Hicks has taken a long run on a short pier. Like, it's, it, we got to stop with this experiment. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm sure Boone is just, you know, wants to give the dude a chance to figure it out. But the, this is literally the division is on the line. Yeah. And I do not want to see the Yankees playing another goddamn wild card series. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. Don't even put that energy out there. But like, that's your room in holy water, man. At, at, at a certain point, I made this joke earlier, I made this joke in our group chat, but like, I wish I could be as bad, as bad at my job as Aaron Hicks is and not. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I wish I got, I wish I got paid to be as bad as bad at any job as Aaron Hicks is. Absolutely, I don't mean this to be a shitting on Aaron Hicks, but like, let's call a spade a spade. It's like, now don't get me wrong, I'm at, I've seen the numbers in baseball enough right now. I mean, we also talked about it. we talked a couple times recently about how the American League was just running very cold for about a one to two week stretch. But the fact that at one point in the season, Stephen Damn Kwan is batting 298, and that was good enough to rank sixth, sixth in the American League. Okay, juice balls a few years ago, they were ridiculous. 
the dead balls now with those numbers, that's a big problem. Yeah. I, I venture that's an almost unacceptable problem. Let's see here. Oh, you're pulling up the stats. Great. What we got? So the highest batting average in the American League is 315. And that's a rise, right? It's actually Bogarts now. Wow. Arias is second with 314. But yeah, there are seven hitters in the American League hitting over 300. Seven. Now, I'm, I'm sure like in recent years that hasn't been entirely uncommon, but there was probably like great, uh, greater gaps between them. Yeah, I mean, like if you go over to the National League, Paul Goldschmidt is hitting 329. Um, and I believe he is now... Yeah, I think that puts him as the triple crown. Oh, no, he's still a home run behind. He's a home run behind Austin Riley for the triple crown winner. Wow. Or two, And then two behind Schwarber. My bad. Um, but, yeah, you got you got a guy who's sitting, pretty, let's just say, 330 for, you know, rounding up. And Freddie Freeman's hitting 324. Uh, Jeff McNeil on the Mets is hitting 318. You know, and then there's – I look – I understand that owners want to deaden the balls if there's a lot of big position players on the market, and there's a lot uh, this year, Dansby Swanson being one of them, and they want to kind of manipulate the market accordingly. This is not the way. This is not the way to do it. If, if, if at any point you have, okay, seven hitters batting over 300, great. You want to have guys who hit for a good average, keep that special, even though batting average is meaningless. You want to keep that, uh, I don't, for lack of a better word, we're going to use the term exclusive group. But when the highest member of that, the member of that group is the highest they're hitting is three, like, what is it, like 315? Like, yeah, 315. That, that's a joke, man. That's a joke. Yeah. yeah. Um, just, and also, just for the sake of dead balls, Aaron Judge has 22 more home runs than the second place Shohei Otani in the American League. Like, and yet people want Shohei Otani to be the MVP. I honestly think he's going to be a. If Danny, if Danny listens to this episode, he's going to be like, fuck yeah, it is going to be Shohei. Uh, yeah. But I, I honestly think it's probably going to be Shohei, especially if he gets 40 home runs, which is, which is insane because Aaron Judge is going to have a second historic season and is going to come in second. And yeah, but you take Aaron Judge off the Yankees, they're not even in the playoffs right now. Oh, I agree. And I think that's how the award should be voted as. Um I know very loud Twitter people think not, a.k.a. Ben Verlander, um, who Go away, I actually ben. originally liked, but now it's just annoying with the whole Shohei thing. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, it's it, whatever. We're coming up on, like, an hour. Existence is pain as a Yankees fan. Hopefully, like, knock on, knock on this crappy Ikea desk or wherever this is from. Hopefully, we beat up on the Twins. And then have a good show at home against the Rays. And in happier news, as we currently speak, the Mets are losing to the Pirates. Gotta love baseball. And, you know, they're, they're just the Mets. Just the Mets. Just the Mets. Well, they are. Yeah, like my, <laughs> my, brother te- my brother texted me the other day. He's like, I was, I was just bitching about the Yankees. He goes, yeah, man, the, the Mets are the team to beat in, in New York right now. And I was like, dude. Fuck him. Like, it, it's just the Mets. And he was like, yo! Because he was like waiting. He was like, yo, the captain, man. It's just the Mets. <laughs> and sure enough, at the game yesterday, we just kept looking at each other and just like, hey, it's just the Mets. 
You know, it's going to be funny though. Uh, at the end of pretty much at the end of this month, we're going to have to reconcile with Met fans because hockey season is right around the corner. Yeah, I know. I'm going to complain about it, but hockey season, football season, basketball season, we got to put our baseball allegiances alive to all, aside to all collectively suffer. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> under the winter the, sports umbrella. Yeah, ho- hockey season is the only thing I got lo- lo- to look forward to. Giants are going to be a shit show this year. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I, I think some, I forget who the source was on, on Pat McAfee, but apparently someone said to Pat McAfee, the Giants are fucked. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean Dave wants to tank this year, probably, anyway. I, I have no idea. Yeah. But I'm going to defer to you about how I should feel about the Knicks this year. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Pretty good, I'd say. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, RJ Barrett getting extended, that's, that's always a good sign. I think that it's all going to hinge this year on which version of Julius Randle shows up. Fair. But, like, I'll say this I'll say this much about the Knicks, especially looking back at last year. Are they going to be a better team? We'll see. They're not going to be a worse team than last year. Let's hope. Let's hope. Yeah. Uh, and then I'm not fully buying into the start of Manchester United, so we'll <laughs> yeah. see how that goes. And with the soccer talk, I think that's our cue to actually say goodbye. Uh, thanks for <laughs> listening, folks. We're sorry that this was kind of a tangenty episode, but the Yankees have been playing very tangenty baseball. Existence is pain. We can just hope that they play their way out of it because that's what you got to do in these cases. There's no magic wand you can wave. You just got to simply go out there, be better, hope something clicks. Maybe tomorrow in the doubleheader. Maybe Glaber Torres has a three home run game. Maybe Ozzy Cabrera finally has that bomb home run we all think he's going to get. <laughs> uh, I don't know. A- Alex, say goodbye. Bye. <laughs> See you next week, folks. Enjoy the show. <laughs>